Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. Hey, God bless you, everybody. Welcome to Gems for the Journey, Wisdom from the Word of God. And we're your hosts, Matt and Stephanie Garrity. And we're founders of River of Heaven Ministries. And we have a threefold vision to rebuild and restore, equip and empower, and revive and heal. Through these broadcasts, you're going to be touched, rebuilt, and restored, equipped and empowered, and revived and healed. And you're going to be functioning like never before as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman. Praise the Lord, everybody. Welcome back to Gems for the Journey, wisdom from the Word of God. And so we've really been looking at some different things to start off 2022. Uh, Last time uh, we talked about this idea of not always understanding what to do. Some people are very sure of themselves. They always, I'm going to do this. I feel like God is telling me to do this. Absolutely. I'm 100% sure um, this is the mode that we're going to go in. This is the direction we're going in. And that's great, uh, like we said before. But there are also situations that we find in second, like Second Chronicles chapter 20. And in those cases, uh, King Jehoshaphat basically said this, my eyes are on you, Lord. And then there's that understanding of when we humble ourselves, even when we don't know what to do, there's times we don't know what to do. And so the best thing to do in those situations is humble ourselves and say, you know, Lord, my eyes are focused on you. My eyes are fixed on you. I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to take my eyes off you. That's what Peter understood uh, when Jesus said, come out of the boat, Peter, and called to him to come out to him on the water. And the, the word of God says in the New Testament, it says that as long as Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, there was no problem. It was only when he looked down that there was a problem. He took his eyes off the master. And so the main focus, I think one of the things the Lord is really highlighting and emphasizing in 2022 is that regardless of what's going on, situation, circumstance, whether you have it all together, whether you know exactly what you're going to do or whether you don't, the main thing is that you need to have your eyes fixed on him. We need to have our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Even the whole prophetic utterance, the whole prophetic ministry, the prophetic in general, hangs on Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.10, worship God for the testimony of who? Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so there's a lot of prophetic words that are going around about this and about that and the other thing. But my question is, do they glorify Christ? Do they point people to Jesus Christ? Do they point people to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? Or um, are they just kind of things off the cuff? It's a general type of prophecy that can be applied or not applied to uh, large swaths of the population. Listen, There's a reason why it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's very interesting is that in Revelation 19.10, if you look at that entire verse, basically the warning to John was, John the Revelator, the warning to John was that the angel was speaking to him and he began to worship the angel. He bowed down to worship the angel and the angel said, don't do that. 
I'm just one of the fellow servants here. I'm, one, I'm, I'm just a, one of God's agents of salvation. I'm just one of God's ministering spirits. Don't bow down to me. And then the second part of that verse, Revelation 19.10, is worship God only for the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so there are a lot of people that uh, are doing all different types of things right now. They've got a prophetic word every day of the week, it seems. Uh, I met with an angel today. I saw a different angel the next day. And of course, there's angelic visitations and things of that nature. Absolutely. 100%. This is well documented in scripture. However, what are those encounters? What are those um, visitations pointing you towards? Are they pointing you towards more visitations or encounters with that angel? Or are they pointing you to Jesus Christ? Are they testifying of Jesus Christ? Remember, even the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Godhead, the Bible says he does not speak of his own accord. He does not testify of himself. He takes from the deep things of the Father and brings them to us. He teaches them to us. And who does he testify of as our living witness? He testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know that a witness, when a witness is in a uh, is on the stand, a witness is not talking about themselves. The whole point of a witness is so that somebody can understand uh, or some somebody can be represented. He's speaking or she's speaking. That witness is speaking on behalf of the person that's being tried. It's got nothing to do with that witness. That witness isn't speaking about themselves. No one really particularly cares about what that witness uh, uh, did in their own life that day. But a witness, the whole point of a witness is to testify on behalf of someone else. And so there's a lot of people these days that have some strange idea that um, we can separate the Holy Spirit from the Father, separate the Holy Spirit from the Son. No, no, there's a reason why uh, they are referred to in Scripture as being one. They are jointly together, three persons functioning in one Godhead. And so we just thank God for that revelation that the Bible says in the last days that even the elect would be deceived if it was possible that Satan himself comes disguised as an angel of light. Remember, in the beginning, Satan was Lucifer, and he was the bearer of light, or the light bearer. He was the covering cherub. He had part, part of his makeup was timbrels and pipes, which means he was part of his creation was he was part musical instrument because he led the choirs in the north. But it says that he can deceive people because he shows up, and it says that his ministers show up disguised as those where people would perceive them potentially to be angels. And so it's very, very interesting that we are warned multiple times in Scripture not to worship angels. Be very careful about angelic visitations. Why? Because there can be deception. And there's a lot of people these days that, and again, there are true visitations, but there's also a lot of people, I believe, that are really infatuated with the angelic, really infatuated with angels. An angel visited me today, an angel visited me, uh, and they were this color, and they were 12 feet tall, and you know they told me their name was this and that and the other thing. We got to be very, very careful, beloved, 
because the enemy seeks to deceive the people of God, even the elect, if it was possible. And the Bible says that one of the, the things, one of the, one of the main things that will characterize the last days are false signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, there are true signs, wonders, and miracles, and that's captured many times uh, in the book of Acts, obviously in the ministry of Jesus Christ, his three years of public ministry. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that there is a lot of this stuff going on out there and that there are a lot of people who build their ministry around angelic visitation? I don't know about you, but I want to build my ministry or build the ministry that the Lord has called us to around Jesus Christ because Again, the angels are ministering spirits uh, that serve, that respond to the word of God. They're never to be a mainstay. They're never to be a, a infatuation. They're never to be one of these uh, situations where it starts to take the focus away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if that's happening, there could really be deception in the midst there. Deception. And so it's important that um, we don't look to anything else except for the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the one who has the preeminence, okay? The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? And it's his house. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. In the book of Colossians, it talks about Christ is the head, that he is the preeminence in all things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, that he would build his house. He said, I will build my house. Okay, the Greek word there, build is oikos or oikodomeo, talking about building the his church, building his ecclesia, which that word ecclesia for church in the Greek means those who have been called out, truly called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. But that's kind of another point, another sacred cow, if you will. Many people say, well, um, you know, everyone's the church. Well, everyone who has responded to the call is the church. But the question is, what have you done with the call? God's goodness, his kindness leads you to repentance. Okay. He brings you to a place of repentance by his grace, by his enabling power, by his, uh, his mercy and his goodness. But then we need to do something regarding that call. And that's called repenting. We're, we're called to turn, turn, and believe. Repent, which means to turn completely around. You're going one direction. And then so you turned and are completely going down a different direction. That's repenting. And that when you exercise that faith of repenting, turning, God's grace saves you on the other side. You've heard me say this many times. I call the grace sandwich. God's grace starts the process. His goodness and kindness leads you to repentance. But then you've got to exercise faith and repent, turning to Christ, and then his grace finishes the process. The Bible says that we've been saved by grace through faith. Amen? Not anything we could do. It's a free gift. Amen? But there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a turning. There needs to be a response to the call. When you're called, when someone calls you on the phone, if you never pick up the phone, even though you know it might be a free call, even though it might be a great conversation, that conversation may save your life. If you don't pick up the phone and you don't answer the call, you don't respond to the call, 
you never receive the benefits of what could be in that message. You never receive the benefits of if that is a warning or that is something, some type of direction uh, for your life. If it's a loved one in need, you get the picture. But it's a great illustration of how when God calls, we need to respond to the call. The Bible says that the church is the Lord's house. All the way back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says that uh, Jacob laid his head down. He didn't know the Lord was there, but there was angels ascending and descending on what we know now as Jacob's ladder, okay? But that was in Bethel. And the word Bethel means house of God or gate of heaven. So when we look at this understanding of the church, these days, is the church really still the house of God and the gate of heaven? Or has it become what Jesus warned about in scripture? Has it become a den of thieves? Has it become a place of gimmicks and gadgets and all these different things? Or is it truly what the word of God establishes the principle for it being the house of God, the gate of heaven. That's what Bethel means. Bethel. There are some churches out there, you know, that are called Bethel Assembly or Bethel Bible Institute or Bethel this or Bethel that, you know, and again, just just a random name I'm coming up with here, uh, you know, because there are churches that are named that. But my question is whether the church actually has physically the name uh, Bethel, you know, Fellowship, Bethel Bible Institute or whatever, uh, you know, Bethel City Fellowship, whatever the name of the church might be, or whether it's named, you know, something else, is it really the house of God? Is it really the gate of heaven? Is it really a place where there is angelic visitation, uh, angels ascending and descending, and watch this, as ministers of God, not to be worshipped, but as ministering spirits, as ones who testify about the Lord God Almighty, as ones who testify, amen, about the things of God. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, says, when Jesus came in the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, pebble, but upon this rock, Christ himself, the revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys, the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And so we find here not just... Uh, Jesus saying, okay, who do men say that I am, Peter? But then personally, who do you say that I am? We understand that the Father revealed this to Peter, that he was Christ, he was the Mashiach, he was indeed the, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. But he says to him that my Father who revealed this to you who's in heaven. So the first pillar of the church is family, our Father. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, it wasn't someone else's father. It wasn't Jesus's father only. No. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our father or my father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
So the first pillar of the church, or the first aspect that Jesus um, characterized the church of being is family, our Father. My Father revealed this to you, Peter, who's in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The second pillar of the church, of the ecclesia that Jesus established, is that the church is spiritual. Spiritual. We're all being built up as living stones in the things of the Lord. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here and there a little. So it's important that we understand that we are a family, but also we are spiritual. Christ wanted the church to be spiritual. John 4.24 says that God is spirit, and those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. We are living stones, okay? It's very important. Very important to understand that we are a royal, royal priesthood, a holy nation, okay? God's special people, and that there is an element to being the church that it's not a natural thing. It's spiritual. It's got to be supernatural. Amen? But the supernatural has to have those proper safeguards in place because if you worship the Lord just in spirit and there's no truth, it can get kooky and spooky because there's no boundaries of the Word of God where truth is shining in. Okay, so people get off into mysticism. They start to worship God and they get into all kinds of stuff. You see people get into angelic worship and, you know, almost things that look like tarot cards and just weird things, new age type stuff and calling it Christianity. Beloved, we can't be doing that stuff. We must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, so we also need to understand that on the other side of that, if we worship God in just truth, it can almost become pharisaical, right? It can become something that's so dry and so rigid because there's not the, the ebb and the flow. There's not the bubbling up of the, the river of God, the wellspring of life and the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Spirit and the river uh, running down from the throne. So we need to have both, okay? So the first pillar of the church or the, the characteristic that Jesus establishes is that the church is a family. The second pillar is that the church is spiritual, and supernatural. It says, uh, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the, the third pillar or the third characteristic that Jesus said, my church shall be, is militaristic. Militaristic. This is not a natural military, but there's no question that we're called to fight the good fight of faith. We are called to war in the spirit. We are called to wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And so it's very important that we understand that we're not just a family. We're not just a spiritual body. We're not just living stones being built up. It's not just a spiritual work, but it's also militaristic. Militaristic. The gates of hell shall never prevail against it never prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of people that think that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in trouble right now. No, man's church is what's in trouble. What man has made it uh, is the only thing that's in trouble. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right here, it, it testify, he testifies that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. 
Instead, the church shall always prevail over the enemy. The church shall always prevail over the gates of hell. And how many know that gates are not offensive? When someone puts a gate up on their property, um, that gate is not coming to run you down. That gate is not coming to, you know, to knock you over. If you're if you're standing in your yard and it's your neighbor's gate, or if it's your gate, that gate's not going to pick itself and move and pick itself up and move and you know run into your neighbor's property. No, no, gates are defensive, defensive, and so as the militaristic force of the kingdom of God where we're wrestling and we're fighting the good fight of faith and all these different things we need to use the word of God we need to use uh, you know walk in worship and prayer and all these different tools that the Lord Jesus has given us in this walk that Father God has given us that the Holy Spirit has shown abroad in our hearts uh, his his uh the understanding of lordship and wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that, that we make military maneuvers, amen? Uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost and to destroy the works of darkness. And we have a very similar ministry. We are the body of Christ. So we can't save people, but we, can, we have the ministry of reconciliation that brings people to the one who can save them. That's Jesus Christ. So we, you could say that we come to seek and to reconcile so the lost can be saved and also to destroy the works of darkness. Now, we don't destroy the works of darkness, but again, we are the vessel that the one who is the mighty warrior uh, works through to destroy the, the things of darkness, to break every chain. Jesus Christ is still breaking chains today through his body, through his church. And then finally, and I will give you the keys, the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The fourth pillar of the church, or the fourth characteristic that Jesus established when he said, I will build my church, is that the church would be governmental. Governmental. That we were the keys, the kingdom of heaven, that we could bind and loose. Those are legal terms. Luo and Deo, legal terms. I will bind this and I will loose this. And whatever you bind, it'll be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose shall be loosed in heaven. You know, the Bible also talks about other keys, okay? So any time keys are mentioned, generally speaking, it's got something to do with the government, with being a governmental uh, understanding, governmental understanding. Really, it's interesting because today, happens to be February 2nd, 2022, or 2 to 22, okay? And so that reminds me of Isaiah 22, 22, where it says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, and what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And so we know this is talking about and relating to uh, the principle of the key of David, the principle of the understanding of the tabernacle of David, um, things of that nature. But who is this speaking of? This is speaking of an individual in the Old Testament. But again, there is a messianic prophecy. There is a messianic understanding that the government would also not just be on those who serve the Lord, that the keys would not just be with those who serve the Lord, but the one who holds the keys would be Jesus Christ. And if you look at Revelation chapter 3, we get a, a very good understanding or a more of an understanding 
when again we return back to this understanding of John the Revelator getting the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it talks about in verse uh, 7, chapter 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Wow. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, indeed will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Wow. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we know this is the church of Philadelphia, but when it says in verse uh, 8 here, uh, these things are said by he who is holy, he who is true, he who is the key of David. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. And so again, going back to this understanding of that I've given you the keys. I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so it's important to understand that governmental aspect of the church, that just like we have to lock our doors or we should lock our doors, you know, when we're in our home at night, we go to bed, you know, things of that nature, um, so that unwanted situations aren't coming through your front door um, when you're, you know, resting with your family or, or situations, circumstances like that. You know, similarly, we should be locking out the things spiritually that we don't want coming through our front door. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's not a hazard uh, for you to be lethargic about doing that naturally, but I'm telling you that it's an even bigger issue if you're not locking your door spiritually. And so that's a governmental thing. The church is is standing as the governmental establishment. The church is the nation within the nations, okay? Uh, we're in the United States of America here, wherever you're listening from, you're in your nation. I'm telling you that the church allows things into the nation and the church can shut things out of the nation through using the keys of the kingdom. That's what Jesus said here. So again, Jesus said, I will build my church, ecclesia. But in order for you to be part of the church, you've got to respond to the call. You've got to say, yeah, Lord, that's me. I don't want to live my life like that anymore. This isn't a coincidence. You led me to repentance. I'm going to repent and turn. There's something called the tenses of salvation also. We are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul that contains our mind, will, and emotions, and we have a physical body. When you repent and believe, your spirit is instantly saved. It's instantaneous. But then scripture talks about that we need to walk out, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I thought we were saved. Well, we are. So we are saved, our spirit's saved, right? When we repent and believe, okay? Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved, okay? So we are saved, our spirit saved, our soul is being saved through the process of sanctification, okay? And that's just 
basically just yielding to the Holy Spirit every day. But we shall be saved as well. So we are saved, we're being saved, and we shall be saved. When we one day are given that glorious body where either after we breathe our last breath here or the Lord transforms us uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he'll return for the church and we will be changed, the Bible says in Thessalonians, and we will be just like him. You know, we'll be, we're followers of him, so it said we'll be like him when he appears. Hallelujah. And so, praise the Lord. This is awesome, awesome stuff. We need to, first of all, again, not be deceived, not be deceived by the, the one disguising himself as an angel of light or his minions, but instead looking completely to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, especially in these last days. Remember, there's going to be many people who claim their Christ. There's many false signs, wonders, and miracles. But beloved, as you keep your eyes fixed on the Master, as you keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you understand what He said His church would be, you will not be deceived. You will continue to flourish, not just to survive, but you will thrive even in these turbulent and challenging times that we're living in. And so I just want to pray for you today. I thank you, Father, for every listener under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, that you're moving mightily in their life. I pray, oh God, that they would repent and believe in you, Lord Jesus. Father, for you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but receive everlasting life, oh God. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, oh God, what you're doing right now. And thank you for even the things that we have not perceived that are on the way. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you, everybody. Hope you have a great day. Again, if you have any questions, any thoughts, reach out to us, amen, at www.riveroftheaven.org, amen. And if you want to support the podcast, there's a donate tab, and we are listener-supported with radio and the podcast, so we appreciate your faithful support. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may His face shine upon you, may He be gracious unto you, may He lift up His countenance upon you, and may He give you His peace. Goodbye. And James... 127, Scripture teaches us to care for the widows and the orphans. We take this seriously and are actively involved in supporting widows and others in need on a monthly basis. Together, we can do more. Additionally, our radio broadcasts and podcasts reach all nations, touching lives worldwide. Daily, new listeners hear the gospel, and through these broadcasts and podcasts, Millions have an opportunity to repent, believe, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listeners also learn about powerful Tabernacle of David principles through our teaching, encouraging all to worship the Father in spirit and in truth with great passion and purity. Your financial gift of any amount will help us to continue to support those in need and allow us to launch high-quality recorded radio broadcasts, podcasts, and teaching that are available for free to anyone who has internet access. With your prayers and financial support, we will continue to reach millions in our generation and multiply millions in generations to come. Thank you for partnering with us.